there. You're listening to the Only Schoolers podcast. I'm Gina Prosh, and hanging out here with me as always is my co-host, Kristen Edwards. Hello. Welcome to the show today, and thanks for tuning in to episode two of the Only Schoolers podcast. We're available now on all the major podcast platforms like iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and several more. And if you don't find us on your platform choice, just let us know and we'll take care of it. Our email is onlyschoolers at gmail.com, and you can also reach out to us on social media. We're on Facebook and on Instagram with the Only Schoolers handle, so check us out there too. And we always have episode highlights available for easy social sharing, plus there's some fun downloads you can use in your homeschool. So now that we've got our feet under us a little bit with our episode zero and episode one in the can today at episode two we are tackling one of the most often asked questions in the homeschool world. But first, here's a quick story. So a few years ago, um, my family and I stumbled across the Will It Blend videos on YouTube, and we got hooked on them. Now, if you're not familiar with them, (laughs) we've got a link in the show notes, or you can search for Will It Blend on YouTube. Uh, But in these videos, our intrepid host of the show, Tom Dixon, is there with his trusty blend tech blender by his side, and he asks the pressing question, will it blend? Now, the thing my son loved about these was that the stuff that goes into the blender, I mean, he's using this blend tech to blend everything from crayons to glow sticks to iPhones to rake handles. Yeah, so I'd never even... It is nuts. I'd never even heard of the Willa Blend videos until you were telling me about them. And I've got to say, watching him stick the marbles and golf balls in a blender was kind of crazy. Definitely a far cry from my morning green smoothie. (laughs) So it takes us back to the title of the show. Um, The fact that uh, when homeschool moves off the beaten path, one of the questions that we get most often uh, from homeschool parents is, will it count? And just like Tom always comes to the conclusion, yes, it blends. We've learned that by and large, homeschool parents can conclude, yes, it counts. So here in Missouri, our homeschool law requires that we count 1,000 hours of instruction between July 1 and June 30th. So often on local Facebook homeschool groups, I'll see questions or posts where a panic homeschool parent says, it's April and we only have, you know, XYZ number of hours. We're not going to make our thousand hours by the end of the year. And even for people who live elsewhere and who uh, account for their hours in different ways, that question comes up again and again and again. Yeah, it comes up a lot on some of the homeschooling pages that I follow, too. It's that question, and then there's always that panic post in the spring and the fall with, oh, the weather is so pretty, and we didn't do any school this week. Oh, no, what am I going to do? I always want to tell those wonderful homeschool moms that they probably did far more than they think. Stop focusing on those math problems completed and the grammar worksheets finished. Think outside that box and you'll realize you probably did life science and social skills and life skills and social studies all without even noticing. Education happens around us all the time, I think. You just kind of have to learn how to see things a little bit differently when you do have those weeks. 
So I'm wondering, Gina, do you remember sort of an aha moment when you realized that school, especially homeschool, was much more or maybe different than what school was for us when we were in public schools as kids? Oh, yeah. Uh, When Wyatt and I were getting started homeschooling, he was fascinated by the birds around our house. So um, where we live, we have a woods behind our home and we see lots and lots of wildlife, birds in particular. So in order to make it easier, we got a bunch of bird feeders and put them on the deck so we could get them closer to see them better. And while we were doing our homeschool lessons, and back then I was much more a uh, worky home workbooky traditional homeschool mom than I am right now, but I, I I wanted us to be able to watch them while we did our our schoolwork. So mostly we did it because I was a kind of a fun thing to do. It was like, hey, come look at the chickadees or the cardinals or the whatevers. But the thing is, then he wanted to know more about the birds than I knew off the top of my head. You know. Oh, yeah, I know. Of course. The questions a kid can ask are never ending. Mom, what kind of bird is that? Mom, what kind of bird makes that sound? And on and on. What kind of... Yeah, what kind of seeds do they like? Why do they fight so much? You know, and who would think that a feeder full of birds could elicit so many questions? And I didn't have answers for them all. So I would pull out my all-time favorite homeschool line. I don't know, son. Let's look it up. (laughs) So... We stopped by the local nature center run by the Department of Conservation and we got a Missouri bird book because I thought that would that would limit our choices, you know. Pretty soon that wasn't good enough because there wasn't enough information into it in it to satisfy him. So um, you know those Audubon books, they're the like the tall, skinny, kind of fat ones. Um they're really pretty thick, but they've got a lot of nice pictures, and then at the back they've got a boatload of information about migration and habitat and all this eensy print in the back. So he was doing pretty well with reading by that time. He was maybe six or seven, but he wanted to know about those birds and he didn't want to wait for me to read the big words to him. So before too long, I'd find him sitting on the couch, looking out the window at the bird and he'd have the bird book in in his lap and he'd start rattling off some bit of information about this bird or that bird. And one day I joked that he was learning so much about birds that he could be an ornithologist when he grew up. And that was dudding. Wait, there is a whole branch of science devoted to the study of birds. And those people are called ornithologists and they sit in the woods and they watch birds and they study their habits and their habitat and they've made it their life's work and they actually get paid to study the birds birds. So just because I wasn't formally teaching him didn't mean he wasn't learning. Yeah. So to answer our question of the day, will it count? I'm guessing you answered yes. So did you end up go back and counting the hours then? Oh, absolutely. I went to my handy dandy homeschool log and I added in time for science and I added in time for reading. And That was really one of the key moments that caused me to rethink what our family meant when we said we're homeschooling. So uh, what about you in September? Is there an aha moment for you? Gosh, I got to think about that one. Um, Yeah, because we jumped to eclectic learning pretty early in homeschooling. 
But I do remember when September was about nine, she got really interested in infectious disease. And I think it started because we had read a book called The Great Trouble, which, sidebar, is a wonderful middle grade novel about the cholera outbreak in Victoria, London. So it was part of our history cycle that year, and I counted it as the literature component, and we just moved on from there. But the epidemic idea really captured her interest. And so the next thing I know, she's asking me to take her to the library, and she was checking out these books about plagues and Ebola and polio and spouting off facts about typhoid Mary and telling me what a patient zero is. And honestly, these books, they kind of freaked <laughs> me out a little bit. The covers were things that would give me nightmares, but she was just devouring them. And she really got interested in the 1918 influenza pandemic. And the stuff she would find out about it was incredible. And honestly, what I know about that, a lot of what I know about it now comes from her. And I'm a history major, but it just wasn't my thing. So none of this was part of the planned curriculum. Like you said, I wasn't teaching her about pandemics. Um, and it wasn't part of any plan that I had for that year. So I wasn't even thinking about counting it as our hours. But then all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, she's really learning here, like on her own. And just because I didn't plan it doesn't mean it doesn't count. So independent study on pandemics, does it count? Yes. And depending on what she learned, we divided those hours between science or history or reading. Uh, no hours counted for the nightmares on me. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me what you think about this. The center of my change in thinking about will it count came down, at least to me, to differentiating between schooling and education. Yeah, I think so. And what I do know you think about that? I, I agree. You know, we've talked about this often. And I know one of your favorite quotations is the one about Mark Twain's advice to never let his schooling get in the way of his education. Oh, yes. I love that because there's a world of difference, at least in, in my mind, between what's school and what's education. For me, School, it sort of implies structure, the, the worksheets I've talked about. Um, it's a teacher standing in front of the room imparting some kind of knowledge. On the other hand, I see education as just a lot bigger, inclusive, real-life thing. I finished with my formal schooling when I was in my early 20s, but my education has continued as I've learned new things throughout my life and taught myself how to do things. I mean, there's a long, long list of things I've taught myself to do all without being in school or taking a formal class. What about you? Do you see a distinction between school and education? Or am I just being some kind of English teacher, nerd, word game player here? Well, if you're a nerd playing word games, deal me in because I'm the same way. I do. I, I agree with you. I think school and education are totally different. Um, school to me is that state mandated requirement that everyone gets some sort of basic knowledge in order to function in society and, you know, be a good citizen. But education, well, that's continuing to learn and grow and kind of stretch your mental horizon long after you've walked across a stage and collected the diploma. Like I was talking about earlier with September and her disease studies, well, I had school stuff planned, quote, unquote. 
but she made it an education and she actually continues that interest today. So I like to refer to myself as a lifelong learner because I kind of feel like it's what I am. This year alone, and we're honestly only a few months into it, I've already learned how to replace an O-ring on a toilet. I've explained the slope-intercept formula to September, something I never got when I took algebra in high school. And I also learned how to sew face math. Yay me, yeah. So those aren't any schools that I learned. Those aren't skills that I learned in school, but they're definitely skills I have now because I continue to educate myself as these real-life applications come up. And I need the knowledge, so I go out and get it. And that's what I think we want our kids to be able to do. You know, I'm reminded of a blog post that I wrote a while back. I entitled it Magic Questions because these were the questions that I've trained myself to ask. And I always encourage other home school parents to ask themselves these questions too. And the post comes from my point of view as part of a progressively more and more unschooly homeschool family. But I believe that there are two magic questions when it comes to home education and the record keeping that goes along with it. Question number one is super simple. Is he or she learning? It's simple. It's yes or no. Is this a learning situation or not? If the answer is no, then that's it. Move along. Nothing to see here. But if the answer is yes, then that's my cue to move on to question number two. Question number two is also pretty simple. It's what's he learning or what's she learning? So will it count? Yes, it's going to count. I mean, if it's learning how to paint by numbers, it's fine arts. If it's learning how to double a recipe in the kitchen, then it's math. If it's learning how to identify birds by their calls, then it's science. And if it's how to place an order at a restaurant, then it's life skills. Does that make sense to your way of thinking? Oh, absolutely. Over the course of the day, there's lots of things that can count of learning if you stop and apply your two magic questions to it. And it's not always that planned learning like I've talked about, which is why I think it's kind of helpful for me to jot down somewhere at the end of the day everything we did, because I kind of have an idea of what I want to get done, and I check that off. But then there's lots of other things that pop up during the day. And if I remember to write those down, I'll know where to put them in when I start counting hours. And I've realized that over the course of the day, it may not seem like much at the time. And you may feel like you did waste the day. But when you look at the aggregate, it's there. You can see that the mass of all those random fragments really did combine to create solid components of learning that, yes, you can count. So by now, it's really pretty clear that our home education philosophies encompass way more than just like seat time activity. So here's another one. Thinking back over your homeschool experiences, what's the craziest thing you think that you've counted toward your homeschool hours? Okay. Well, that one's really easy because we just did it. This is like a very recent. I counted about 50 hours. Yes, I said that 50, five zero, 50 hours of watching 20 MCU movies. Now, for those of you who don't know what MCU stands for, which I didn't before January, it is Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, you know, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Black Widow, all of them. 
So yes, we watched 20 superhero movies in the space of about a couple of weeks. And yes, it counts. It all got logged as literature. Well, they are all based off original comic books, so there's definitely a literature connection. And right now, I got to say, I'm teaching the Odyssey in a homeschool co-op right uh, for our local homeschool group, and I am always referring to the Marvel movies to help the kids frame what's going on in this Greek epic. It gives them a touchstone point. Well, yeah, because it's an epic journey. You know, we'd never seen any of the movies, and September. She just decided that it would be fun to have a movie marathon on New Year's Eve. So I had to go to my nephew, he's nine years old, and I say, what's the order I need to be watching these in? And he sat down and just gave me this whole list of the order to watch them. So we started at the top of his list and we worked our way down through it. And we watched, I think, two, maybe three of them on New Year's Eve. And then we just kept going. And at first... I wasn't even really thinking about counting them as our hours or anything. I mean, we're on Christmas break. Who counts hours on Christmas break? But what I realized, I was like, give me a break. I don't want to write this down. Um, But what I realized as we watched the story build is that all the literary elements are there. It's just like a book. It might not be apparent, I guess, if you were watching them as they were released every year over the span of, oh gosh, what is it, like 10, 10 11 years? I don't know how long yeah, they long were time. released. Yeah, a long time. So I guess if you watched them one at a time over that space and not in a particular order, you might not see the literary elements, the story of it. But if you watch the whole catalog of them together in chronological order as they build, it's obvious that it's one long storyline. It's just this building to this incredibly epic ending. I mean, you've got character development and foreshadowing and the setting of all the different movies and the point of view, who's telling the story in the movie. And there's the hero's journey and the creative opening hooks and the cliffhangers. And I mean, all the literary elements are there in a visual format. I mean, seriously, if you can take a character like Loki, who is the god of mischief, and for some reason was my daughter's favorite character, and I hated him at first, but if you can take a character (laughs) like Loki and create a storyline where he goes from a villain you hate to this anti-hero that you really sympathize and empathize and you just like him toward the end... Now, that's some serious character development to, to, to discuss. So after watching all of those and becoming Marvel nerds, <laughs> would I totally replace <laughs> books with movies for all our literature classes? No, because I am a librarian and I love books. Um, so first of all, no, because I do love my books. But second, they are different artistic genres. But am I willing to count that movie marathon as literature, as storytelling? Absolutely. So if we go back and look at your magic questions, was September learning? Yes. What was she learning? Story arc, character development, literary elements. So does it count? Yes. So that's kind of our our crazy does it count moment. Um, And we're not in high school yet. So, but I, I still think I would count it there. But what about now? Because you oh, are doing high school. Yeah. So how would you play? Will it count? 
do you how do you balance it out though i guess when there are transcripts to create um i it's the same basic thing that that you're doing and i i you're talking about the marvel creative universe you know i always marvel at how some parents get mini me children and other parents get changelings who are totally different from their parents. (laughs) So my husband's a writer and he's a designer and I'm a writer and we both love fiction and we both love to lose ourselves in this world that unfolds when we, when we read a novel, we enjoy those things. So our son is a totally different kettle of fish when it comes to reading. He is Mr. Nonfiction. You know, you got to remember that whole Audubon bird book thing. Um, he's got the whole set because he wanted to know about butterflies, trees, rocks, mushrooms, you name it. He wants to learn something new. He wants information. He does not love to write. I mean, he really does not love to write. So I'm a writing teacher and I'm like, I've got this. This is going to be easy, you know. Um, so I tried having him write things when he was younger, you know, describe your perfect pizza or if you could be any bird, which bird would you be? Well, let's just say it was not a spectacular success, you know? <laughs> no, I can empathize. I've got a changeling myself, and it's something that we've talked about. Um, she's very literal-minded. She prefers nonfiction, totally opposite of me, kid. So I can hear it now. Mom, no one cares about my perfect pizza, and there's no way I'm changing into a bird <laughs> anyway. So what difference does it make if I write about it? Oh, that's totally true. So I was, I was here thinking, you know, by the time we're getting to to be at high school age, he's got to be able to string words together in writing, be able to form coherent thoughts. So what am I going to do? I don't want him to hate writing. Um, I'm pretty much doing a little homeschool mom panic dancing over here. Yep. So one weekend we were out geocaching. And so if you're not familiar with geocaching, it's kind of a worldwide hide and seek game where players will hide caches so that other players can find them using a GPS or the geocaching app on a phone. If you're looking for information, you can go to geocaching.com and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. But, um, so Wyatt, he had found a bunch of caches that weekend and he logged the find with a few sentences about what happened if there were any problems with the cache. And he'd have me look it over before he hit the post button. And, you know, I'd make sure everything was spelled correctly and that the sentences made sense and he'd fix them if they didn't. Then he'd make the comment live. So after a few months of playing, he decided he didn't just want to find the caches. He wanted to hide them for other people to find. So he did. And the first one that he did, um, he named after uh, my great, great aunt Lou. So he came up with all these creative names for, for caches and he had fun descriptions of them. I told little stories. So for instance, aunt Lou's cache is based on the fact that she, my aunt Lou would make homebrew beer. And so he, he tells this little story to entice people to want to find the, the thing. So I thought geocaching, will it count? Yes. Yes. It's going to count because I'd been thinking of it initially as part of like geography, map reading, navigation. And all of a sudden I realized he is writing. He's really actually writing. 
So I'm just encouraging him to plant geocaches to his heart's content. And I don't mention anything about the writing to him. A little you know, like, stealthy homeschool mom. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, yes, stealth homeschooling here. So he's, you know, he's creating caches about this fictitious character he calls Joe the Gnome. And Joe has a house and Joe's got a post office. And sometime later this spring, I think Joe's going to get a church or something. Um, he's researched stuff. He's written about the history of locations as part of a hide, like local history things. Um, he has written really super complex puzzles and codes, and then he's written how-to instructions so that people will have an idea of how to solve them. He's done a lot of research on geographical and geological features when he's placed earth caches around. So he's doing a lot of stuff. He really is. And and September and I found some of his caches and they're really fun. He does a great job with them. And look, I can guarantee you if I had pushed ahead with typical writing assignments, it would have been no fun for him. We would have butted heads throughout the whole thing. But here it was really different because he generated the idea. He saw it through and it's proved to be an ideal solution for us. So as an added bonus because of the geocaching. He's made lots of friends. He's corresponded with people all over the country um, as they've written to him about how to solve this puzzle. You know, he'll send them instructions. They'll write back. Um, He's become friends with uh, several of the the local geocachers. And so one of them has his, uh, his wife has been in the hospital. And so they've been emailing back and forth, you know, how's your wife doing? Is she out of the hospital? All that kind of stuff. So, it doesn't look like any writing curriculum I have ever seen in my entire life as an English and writing teacher. But what's your verdict, Kristen? Does it count? Yes. I absolutely think it does. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I can count Marvel movies, you can count geocache as writing. <laughs> we have permission. Um Good yeah, deal. yeah, and I think um, what's interesting is the way that when you change the context, it affects what subject it counts for. So just like with geocaching, you switched it from geography to writing and composition in a snap because that's where you needed the focus to be, and that's what was really happening there. It was a lot of writing. And honestly, one small tweak is all it takes to switch something from like a fine arts or a practical arts class into a core subject like math, science, or social studies. Yeah, I often joke with my homeschool friends that turning something into core hours is my official superpower. So give me an example of something that you've changed from, say, a traditional fine arts uh, PE, that kind of class into something that you're now counting for more of a core credit hour component? Well, I did it by using you and your superpower, of course. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, you were saying in Missouri, we have to have a thousand hours of instruction and 600 of that has to be in some core classes. So the first class that I changed to core credit hours was French, which typically you would count as a non-core foreign language. And this year, September was studying with a college student from Belgium who was attending the local university where we live. And it was perfect. It was great in terms of her learning the language from a native speaker. But we didn't really need that many elective or non-core foreign language hours. But then I realized as I was watching her study one day, a large part of learning a foreign language is the grammar part of it. I mean, ta-da! French class ding, now ding, count. Ding, yeah, ding, yeah, ding. Exactly. Ding, ding, ding. The light bulb went <laughs> off. 
French class now counts as grammars because you have to know what a noun is and a verb is, and you have to understand past tense. And it's really just getting hammered in as she works to become more fluent. And it's helping with English grammar as well. So it's a lot more interesting for her to learn grammar that way than to read some dry textbook about the finer points of a past participle, which I would probably have to Google to teach her anyway. Exactly. So it was au revoir to the uh, foreign language, non-core stuff, and bonjour to core grammar hours, right? Yes. I love it when a plan comes together. Me too, because it really made a difference in what I could count for core hours. Um, Well, anyway, I had decided to do that. And I remember we were sitting at the rink talking one day, and I had revealed this beautiful little gem of an idea to you. But I was still grumbling about all the extra PE hours we were racking up because she joined the synchronized skating team this year. And that's a lot of extra practices, just a ton. Um, And you kind of looked at me and you said, hey, what about counting some of that as sociology? Which, of course, was brilliant because the definition of sociology. (laughs) But the look on your face. (laughs) I know. I probably was beaming. You probably could have powered a thousand suns from my face. (laughs) Because the definition of sociology, and if you really stop to think about it, it's the study of the social lives of people, groups, and societies, and the study of our behavior as social beings. And honestly, we're better to, to observe some small group interactions than at the ice rink. I mean, it's it's the perfect little um, Petri dish for this particular study. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yes, I am totally going to do that. So I went home. Um, I found these crash course video series about sociology. There's like 35 or 40 of them. They're little, I think about 10 to 15 minute segments. And they break it all down into the different parts of sociology. So I found that crash course video series and I found some books from the library and we took off. So we learn about paradigms and research methods and all the theories of socialization. And then we discuss how, or even if it applies to what we're observing at the rink, because the rink is a whole little culture into itself. And it's been interesting to see it in terms of sociology. So basically part of the hours that we spend at the rink that would normally be counted as PE hours, I count as sociology hours. And then we follow up at home with more in-depth sociology to sort of um, understand what we were observing. So even though the rink part of our life is on hold right now, we're still working through those videos because she's really, she really enjoyed it. And at first I didn't know if she would, but I just thought, let's just try this and see what happens. But now she's considering sociology as her career. So thank you, Gina. So she's going to, she could be a sociologist who studies the effect of pandemics on groups of people. Exactly. (laughs) But really it just takes a little thinking outside the box. I'm I'm glad my superpowers were helpful here. Yes. (laughs) You need your own Marvel movie. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Just by asking yourself, will it count? It really opens up your mind to all the possibilities that you can see for a particular subject. And that's really what I think we're, we're talking about when we say, will it count? So as you are looking at your own things that you are counting, uh, 
change the context, look at what they're learning and decide if there's a way that you can make it count. Now, before we close, um, there's a quick reminder that if we've said something that made an impression, please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or any place you listen to the podcast. The reviews are how we share about the podcast with other people and can help create a stronger community. So just go to an app and drop us a line. And if you'd like to continue this conversation, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle at both places is Only Schoolers. We'd love to hear your does it count stories. Or if you want to test Gina's superpower, drop us a line and we'll help you figure out if it counts. Um, And as always, if you'd like to support the podcast financially, we invite you to join our Only Schoolers Patreon community. You'll have access there to special content posts, downloads, and other goodies. And there's a few freebies right there um, waiting for you today. So today we say thanks for joining us. And until next time, we hope you're ready to ask will it count and answer with resounding yes, Yes, it counts.